Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts. Acts chapter 10, we are back in the saddle again. And now we really start to run into a whole new uh, connection, um, understanding to, uh, to what God is doing with the church. Uh, and as we look at this this morning, it's exciting because where we're going is the ancestry of us meeting this morning. And so as you look at this, I don't know how many of you have ever thought about doing like the Ancestry.com thing, right? You know, you do the swab and you send it away and you find out you're not uh, who you thought you were. So sorry. Um, this is our lineage. This is fascinating. And, and so for the Gentile church, the evangelical church, going back to the church proper, right? This today, what we're looking at, speaks completely to our heritage, our beginning. I don't know that I could go as far as say if this didn't happen, if these events didn't happen, that we wouldn't be existing today. But I can tell you that this was the start of the church as you know it. A radical shift, all because God planned it that way. Let's go to prayer and see what the Lord has for us today. Father, this morning as we look into Your Word, clear our minds, lead us away from distractions. Let us hear and see and be encouraged and uplifted looking at Your plan and how it works itself out around us. Thank You, Father. Thank You that this part of the story of Your church was written down for us to look at and examine and see and be inspired from. Guide our time as we move forward in Your Word today. Amen. So as we are in Acts chapter 10, we stumble upon the story of Cornelius. And we'll talk a little bit about who Cornelius is, and, and we'll kind of get into it. But the sermon title today is Cornelius, a centurion or a church planter? A centurion or a church planter? How many of you pride yourselves in kind of being able to size people up? Right? You could figure, you could figure out for the most part who somebody is, what somebody does, just based of your first initial impressions, right? So uh, as, as I stand before you and you see me like this, how many of you 10 years ago would have said, oh, that guy's a pastor in a church? Probably not. Now, if I was wearing what I was wearing two weeks ago with a suit, it was funny because um, I forget who was doing worship that day. Oh, Brian was. And so Brian shows up and uh, I'm not sure, I think he was even wearing shorts or something like that. And uh, I forgot to get him the memo about stage attire. And, um, and uh, he looks at me and he goes, oh, I didn't get the memo on it's wear your suit in the middle of summer day. And, um, 
And so he was like feeling like, oh, am I supposed, I'm like, just relax. You're here to lead worship. Just lead worship, man. You know, this is my little thing that I do. But so much of the time, we look at individuals and we kind of look and, and assess and maybe even judge whether they're deserving of our time, our focus, our commitment, our resources. Later today, we're going to be going out as our first outreach on our four Sundays. Four o'clock today. You're going to hear about it later today in the service. And so you're going to have to really fine-tune this whole thing that you have going on. I don't, it's not me. I don't, I don't do it, but you're going to do it, right? You're going to have to go out and you're going to have to just look and pray and figure out who needs the hope and the light of Jesus Christ. And how are you going to help them in that? And so you're going to have to utilize that. And, and part of that process is what? Is prayer. Letting the Holy Spirit guide you. But sometimes it's, it's coming to a decision process, rightly or wrongly. Does this person deserve my grace? Right? Does this person... Does it, if I... If I help this individual, are they really going to use it the way they should use it? I'm getting closer, aren't I? You're starting to understand where I'm going with this. How many of you would give your most prized possession to your enemy? And today we see that salvation comes to the enemy of the Jews. And next week we'll see that not only does that salvation come to the enemy, but God, Jesus, requires that His main person, Peter, the rock, the one that will build the church, that He institutes this whole new radical shift of salvation coming to the enemy. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? So kind of fascinating stuff. This morning, let's get in and let's look at the, the passage. Starting in verse 1, it says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known at, as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He, he is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This morning, I'd like us to look at, at these three concepts. Number one, religion isn't enough. And number two, the seeker is answered. And number three, God's plan of expansion. 
There, there's not a whole lot of slides beyond this right here, okay? So we're just going to get in and we're going to look at, at what's happening here. So let's look at this concept of religion isn't, isn't enough, but let me give you a little history. So Caesarea Maritima, it, it was a port city. It was the biggest port city at that time in Palestine. Um, and, and if you go with us, let's go back one slide. Um, if you go with us to our Israel trip, you will sit in this theater. And uh, it's got an incredible view, doesn't it? The Mediterranean Sea right behind there. This whole uh, excavation, this whole city of Caesarea was buried under sand until the mid-70s when a, 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 a dust-cropping airplane was flying over and he could see some strata that looked odd. And when you see strata that looks odd in Israel, uh, you make one phone call and they rope the whole thing off with the IDF and, and, and nobody goes there on penalty of death. And they discovered an incredible city. Uh, one of the most incredible and, and uh, um, uh, complete archaeological finds uh, in the world. And so this theater, we're going to hear later about this theater, uh, when Herod stands there wearing his robes, and you can see the water's there, the sun is out, and he's standing in the center of that area, and people said he looked like a god because he was wearing a robe of silver sequins. And he just, he just was brilliant. You couldn't even make out his face. And uh, you'll hear what happens as a result of that. But this is a very real place. And it's very exciting. Let's go ahead and go back to the, uh, the other slide. And that's the very real baptism of Cornelius that we'll talk about. They had an actual um, Google camera there. And uh, we have one of those rare photos for you. So this morning as we look at the passage, we're in Caesarea. And this is one of the ports where the Romans would first disembark. Coming across the Mediterranean... And it was a Roman stronghold. As a matter of fact, later on, we'll hear about Paul uh, being before Felix and being on trial. Where? Caesarea. This is a big city. And it's under Roman control, Roman domination. And so from there, the Roman soldiers, Caesar's edicts, all of that stemmed from Caesarea and flooded throughout the Palestinian plain. The Roman oppression was the very thing that was at the underpinnings of why Christ, in a surface level, was crucified. Why do I say that? Christ was crucified because it was God's plan. Christ was crucified as a penalty for sin. But how are you going to pull that off? How are you going to get the Jewish people to put the, 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 the moniker of approval, Paul or Saul's casting of the coat, so to speak, to kill an innocent man. How are you going to pull that off? Because the crowds so hated Rome, they thought Jesus would come and overthrow Rome. As a matter of fact, it's part of the Barcoba Wars. Uh, Barcoba himself was seen as a messianic figure. And so they thought he was the Messiah. 130 A.D. And in the third of the Jewish wars, he comes in and it's, just, it's bloody. It's incredibly bloody. In one of the battles, this is interesting, in one of the battles, there's such a decimation of the Jews, such a genocide of the Jews, that in that city, 
In the Jewish Talmud, it is said that the blood ran to the level of the horse's nostrils. We hear, I just had someone tell me this past week, Jesus is coming back soon. Things have gotten so bad. Do you have any idea how bad it was for the Jewish nation? And the first Jewish war started in 66, 70 A.D., and that's with the, the bringing down of the temple. The second one was in 111, 115, and then the third one was Bar Kokhba. And, and so what ended up happening, again, if you end up going to um, Israel with us, I'm doing these shameless plugs. We'll have an information meeting after service. Uh, it all culminated in a little uh, hilly town called Masada. Uh, it wasn't a hilly town. It was a fortress that Herod had built. It was impenetrable, it was thought. And that was the last place that the Jews ended up that they could run to. And when you stand on Masada, you can see all the walled encampments of the Roman legions that surrounded and pulled off a siege. If I remember my history correctly, it was over three years and the reason they could hold out is when you go to Masada, you will see that there's giant cisterns that were cut out from underneath, and they could hold out for forever, but not forever. And as the Romans were imminently going to break through on this back part of Masada where they built this giant ramp, the leaders of that last Jewish vestige decided that it would be better for them to take their own lives and that's how bad it got. Does this sound like Matthew 24, by the way? You will run to the hills. You will cry. For, moms will cry for death to embrace them. And the story is that family member upon family member turned and killed their own children, killed their own wives, and it came down to the last two. That's why the Jews hated Rome. Now, have I done my homework in setting up for you how improbable it would be for God, for Jesus, to take that beautiful, sweet message of the gospel and lay it into the lap of a centurion, an Italian centurion. So let's look. So a little history about Caesarea and how important it plays a role in the scope of this whole story. By the way, we also know, going back a little bit um, to the time of Philip, that Philip, after he's taken out from Samaria, he goes out into uh, kind of a, 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 a traveled area heading towards the coast, and that's where he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. After that, he and his family are found, we'll hear later in Acts, in what town, what metropolis? Caesarea. Caesarea. So this plays continually uh, throughout the narrative of Acts. So let's look a little bit deeper here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So a, a centurion was kind of a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. And so he wasn't, wasn't super powerful, but he had a lot of responsibility. He was seen as a leader in the community. And he would be a leader over a hundred men traditionally. But history seems to state that uh, uh, Cornelius held a much uh, larger influence within that community than just over these hundred men. Bottom line, Cornelius is an influential man. And as an Italian cohort, here's something that's interesting that fits with our, our, uh, our title today. Is he just a centurion or is he a church planter? 
well, where are we going with that? Well, when you go out today and you sit and, and observe different people and you're trying to uh, think, who should I engage with? We will have a propensity to uh, kind of categorize and contextualize people all around us. And many people that, that I grew up with probably would not have categorized me as a pastor. There's still plenty of people that would not categorize me as a pastor. And yet, look at what the Lord chooses to do. Because God has a plan, and we're going to talk about that, God's plan of expansion in a minute. You see, what's interesting is, is if you are fairly familiar with the New Testament, help me out here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. How do you think the gospel got to Rome? Well, we don't know. There's your... There's your total perfect answer but as a centurion you would have a time period where you would be in, in your position overseas and then you would be brought back home cornelius in this story is reaching out to god cornelius has his answer next week i'll do a spoiler alert cornelius and his family come to saving knowledge through the gospel of jesus christ and that is part of God's, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, God's expansion plan, because now where does Cornelius go? Right back to Rome. What a beautiful understanding and strategy that we as Conquer Bible Church, as we move forward with his plans, as in, in context to a, a multi-ethnic fellowship church, that as we have several individuals and be here next week, I'm, I'm praying that we have a prayer time uh, that is connected to uh, the different languages again as we prepare in communion but moving through all of that the lord through his work here at conquer bible church is reaching the nations uh, you know I, i'm only going to touch this thing like 183 times before somehow it gets uh gets fixed here lord i'm praying for signs and wonders and a miracle okay so sorry when when we share we have to be willing to take adjustments. But think about the fact that the Word of God goes out from here. Through our video ministry, we have this incredible opportunity to reach around the world. And we are. Alan's shown me some of the demographics. We've had people from the Ivory Coast watching. I've got people in Asia watching our services. I'm, I'm going to guess that we have, actually I don't have to guess, I know for sure, we have some people in Egypt that are watching some services, some special unique services that happen here. We have people in India that, that tune in and, and watch some of, of what happens here. And as we grow in that ministry, this ministry reaches out and reaches out and reaches out. The only way that we can do that is because that expansion plan of God is reaching to other nations through people he's brought here. This is a Caesarea Maritima. Does that make sense? This is a gathering place for so many different people from so many different cultures, and, and yet what God will do is he'll take that message of the gospel and take it back to where they've come from. Right? Maybe even Peru, right, Melody? That's right. She gave me an amen nod. All right. So let's look at some uniqueness about what's going on in the story. 
At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. So we know all of that. Now, let's look at four components of who Cornelius is. Number one, he was devout. What does that mean? That means that he was strident in, in his religious practice. Now, what is he doing? It's something very uncharacteristic. He has, in one essence, converted to Jude Judaism, and he is practicing Judaism. One of the reasons we know this is because of his prayers, where he has this vision. It says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And right before this, it's talking about how he prayed continually to God. We're going to see later on in this story where Peter is praying. Uh, he goes up to the roof and he's praying, and that's when the vision came to him to go meet with Cornelius. Cornelius is a devout man. He is practicing his religion. And as he practices his, his religion, he does so with great effort. Now, many of us are aware that the practice of Islam, how many times do they pray a day? How did you know that? Little hint, hint, little cheat, cheat, right? During this time, how many times a day would a Jew pray? Isn't that fascinating? You don't have that in your religious lexicon. There's a lot of similarities here. Anywhere from four to five times a day. Remember all the things that we hear about that Peter and John were going up to the temple for prayers? There were certain times of the day that there were prayers. That's why I believe that what happened here, you, you rarely see in the narrative of the, of the New Testament where there is something stated other than Jesus' death on the cross, you rarely see something stipulated in chronology terms, the ninth hour, unless it was linked or indexed somehow to a prayer schedule. It does happen, but often it is linked to a prayer schedule. So I would say that this implies, it's not explicit, but it implies that in his devout efforts to practice Judaism. Now that's a mind-bender. You have got the enemy practicing your faith. God's doing a work already in Cornelius. Without even understanding who Jesus is, without even understanding the Gospel, something's happening in this Italian's life. Uh, how was that, Gary? Was that okay? Yeah, all right. You should have been here last week when I imitated sheep. Maybe you shouldn't. Something's going on within Cornelius' life. God is reaching in. And so what does he do? He goes after what he sees. And that's the practice of the current religion. He's very religious. He's very devout. He's up early before the sun to pray. He's finishing his prayers late at night. He's praying in the afternoon. He is devout. He is a religious man. He's also listed as a what? A God-fearing man. Now, a God-fearing man is someone who understands that God is over and in and through all things. It is recognized that way. It's not necessarily this, this concept or understanding that uh, I'm afraid to do this because God might strike me dead. Okay, That's kind of our English interpretation of that. A God-fearing man is one who curtails his decisions, his life, in honor of the king. Because he understands an appropriate 
uh, vision that God is over all. He's doing pretty good, isn't he? So far he's devout, and now he's a God-fearing man. All this in an Italian. You're going to get tired of it. Just trust me. I already am. Oh, here's number three. Pastors preach on this all the time when the giving goes down. Just so you know, we had a banner month in July, so that is not my point here, okay? God is definitely working through our church, but look at this. This is interesting. And by the way, this is connected to Judaism. This is connected to uh, 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 Islam. It is connected to a lot of forms of religion. He was a generous giver. This characterized the man Cornelius. He was a generous giver. Now, how many of you have made it to point three so far in your own character assessment? That you're devout in your practices. Okay, I'm kind of running neck and neck with Cornelius here. Second, I believe that God is over all things and he deserves honor. I believe that. I don't necessarily always live it, but let's just pretend I did. So let's move to number three. And now we're at generous giver. It's like, oh, you know, I gave away half those cookies I baked the other day. And I ate the other in the closet with a gallon of milk. All that to say, Cornelius is something special. There's something unique going on here that God has already set into motion. And as he's seeking, you hear that word? As he is seeking worship, God, he's trying to find that which gives the answer to the hole in his life. He sees Judaism and he starts practicing these things and something must be working for him because he continues in it. Do you think he would be mocked? Do you think that as we look at this idea of, well, would I be able to pray uh, at 11.30 at my cubicle without being written up by HR? That's some seriously intense pressure, isn't it? Imagine yourself an Italian centurion overseas, and you've got to hold the peace. And you need the respect of your men. And what are you doing? Five times a day, you're praying to the God of your enemy. Something special about this guy. God's already doing a work. He's already doing a work in Cornelius. What's the fourth thing? So an, again, another thing that marks the character of this man is that he's a generous giver. Fourth, he is constant in prayer. He is constant. Now prayer was not a, um, an unfamiliar idea within Western civilization, within Rome, even within the Greeks. They prayed to their gods all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our study of Ephesians a few years back, we talked about how the church at Ephesus was so ostracized and they were kept out of the, the, the stoa, the market, where they would get food. Because in order to go to the market, you would have to make a sacrifice and a prayer to the, the Roman god. And then you were allowed to purchase food. And so they suffered because they wanted to make sure that their prayers were to the living God. Imagine being one who prays continually and yet you're praying to the God of your enemy. 
There's something unique and special about Cornelius. There's something unique and special about this place, Caesarea. It's not Jerusalem. It's not close to Beersheba, where the Ethiopian eunuch was reached. It's not Samaria, where Philip went down and and reached to an improbable people for salvation. It's none of those places. It is the stronghold of the Gentiles. Where is a place and who is a person that you think is beyond the gospel reaching? Or that God does not care about them? Because this was the final straw for Peter to learn. And for you and I, as we look, as we examine the things of life and the things that that are going on in our spiritual uh, uh, view or purview, do we have the heart of God? Are we God-fearing people that we're on board with God's plan? So let's just examine this morning these, these components about this man, Cornelius. Religion isn't enough. How do we know that? So he's got these four things going for him. This makes a great character of a man. This this guy should be executive of the the year, right? The new uh, uh, Covey, okay? And uh, as we look, all of a sudden there is something that shows, number one, he's not satisfied. But number two, God sees that there needs to be something more for Cornelius. How do we know this? Well, he's practicing all these things, and as Luke writes, he writes with intentionality, and he's talking about, well, here's this new place. Let's, let's just shift the whole story up to the Gentile stronghold, an improbable place. And there's this man, Cornelius, and he was an established leader, right? He's a devout man. He feared God along with his whole household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Man, he's really nailing it. I'm going to imply that he was in prayer at this ninth hour, and at the ninth hour day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Now this is a huge challenge. This is a huge challenge. I'm I'm going to take a huge, bold step as I talk about religion and saying that religion isn't enough. Because when he says Cornelius... The angel is doing so to get his attention. It's a demonstrative statement. It's pay attention. Something very important is going to happen here. And what happens for Cornelius is an attempt to move him out of religion because it's not enough and move him into true saving faith with Jesus Christ. Now here's what's fascinating. He says, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So let's look at this idea that religion isn't enough, but yet at the same time, as you practice those things, before salvation, God notices those things. And I would say that Scripture informs us that none of those things happen unless God is already at work in our life. Let's go back to this word seeker. Jesus says, Seek, and you will what? And you will find. And so as we are seeking, it is a road, it is a process, and that road is always different for different people. I was able to sit with someone yesterday who their road and their path, they, they, 
shared with me yesterday that, that their understanding of Jesus was this. They'd heard the gospel over and over and over. It all sounded great. And they, they attend church and, and they're, they're involved and they're trying to seek God in all these things. And we had, we had even talked about uh, some processes of moving forward in steps of faith a while back and, and there just was something that was missing. There was just something missing. And recently we sat down and prayed and we were talking through taking those next steps again and, and what does God have for you? So let's pray about this. Let's pray about this. And just like Cornelius, Cornelius is praying for something because this angel says your prayers have been answered. You, we have noticed, God has noticed your alms. God has noticed your prayers. And as an answer to those prayers, I want you to reach out to a man named Simon Peter and bring him up here. Why did he want Simon Peter? So he could share the good news of the gospel. You see, Cornelius was seeking God, and he had all the religion down, but it was falling short. And the implication is that in his worship, he kept coming to the Lord and he was saying, religion isn't enough. Religion isn't enough. There's still a hole here. There's got to be something more. There's no indication that Cornelius knew who Jesus was. None. As a matter of fact, the implication is that he didn't know Jesus, and so therefore Peter had to come share Christ with him and the message of the gospel. Maybe he did know who Jesus was. It's just not in the narrative. But the idea and the concept that we need to grab this morning is that he knew religion wasn't enough. Where are you today? Because the young individual that spoke to me this past week went away seeking Jesus last weekend. And their response to me was this, I don't know why, but for my journey, suddenly the light went on. And it was through a discussion and through prayer time and through God working through people I didn't even know and just presenting it. And I'd heard those words before multiple times. Ask Jesus into your heart. He said, but I was never satisfied i never felt like i'd arrived i'd never felt like the light went on and he says and i followed through with that and my life has changed my life has changed and i didn't have time to put the light on but we're putting on another light you see that individual part of our church is seeking we're all seeking god and so cornelius is the perfect picture of someone seeking god but god's already building that in him God's saying, look, you're doing all this and yet you still have this hole. I'm going to help you figure out how to fill it. You need to, you need to pursue this guy. You need to call up 1-800-APOSTLE. Okay? You need to talk to my man Peter. And so the seeker is answered. And as we look at this, he says, what? What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner who is, whose house is by the sea. And, and all of this is kind of logistical stuff, but he's saying specifically, I want you to go talk to my, send some guys and bring up this guy that's down in Joppa. Joppa was about 36 miles from Caesarea. And, and you'll see by the story next week that Peter gets there in a day. I don't know walking that I'd be getting there in a day. 
Um, I mean, it's a nice highway, but there's, there's a couple good falafel stands I'd probably stop off at and, and a couple good hotels. Peter somehow makes it all the way up there the next day. And next week we'll see what Peter had to learn in this process. But so far as we look at this unique life of this individual, he's acting uniquely because he has adopted the religion of his enemy. That doesn't happen without God. Miracle one. But what does he find? It's not satisfying enough. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone that's caught in religion and their faith isn't alive? Maybe that's the individual you can share Christ with, just like Peter did. Maybe you're the answer that God's doing through his expansion plan. You see, God had an expansion plan that was going to happen with pinpoint accuracy as he requires Peter to go up from Joppa, respond to these individuals. You think Peter's excited? The, the, the very individuals, not maybe the specific ones, but the, the organization, if you will, that killed his Savior, who is oppressing them, these individuals come to Peter and say, we need you up in Joppa. Uh, I'm not really excited about you guys, first of all, but second of all, why do you need me? Oh, because our boss, who you're going to hate even more, really needs to talk to you. Yeah, Peter's not so down with that plan. And you'll hear how he responds next week. You see, Cornelius' faith to move into church planting is one of the most improbable and impossible actions ever. So as you look at the people around you that are marching through religion, but there's really no change, understand this. I always want you to think of Cornelius. Because maybe an individual's disillusioned with God. Maybe an individual's disillusioned with organized religion. That's usually how you can tell, right? you get that statement but i want you to remember cornelius who kept offering prayers up and maybe somebody you know maybe somebody you'll meet tonight has been praying to god i've been trying it so many different ways i've been seeking you so many different ways but i've been coming up empty would you please send me someone to share the truth jimmy hendrix stood on a stage close to his death finished out a song, and then just yelled to thousands of people, can anybody tell me the truth? No response. No response. He committed suicide weeks later. You don't have to be Jimi Hendrix, folks, to be suffering on this level. There are people all around us that are trying to find the answers that are trying to find the solution to life because there's a huge hole in their, their heart. There's something missing. And Cornelius was practicing and practicing and practicing all these things. And by the way, did you notice God was listening? He has yet to know Jesus Christ, but God was listening. And what did the angel say? Your prayers and your alms and your gifts have been a sweet aroma to God. I have an expansion plan for you, Cornelius. I'm going to bring up my best guy to tell you the truth. You see, God works even when we're not on board. Because I'll guarantee you, 
when you look at the story, Peter wasn't on board. And God has to go to extraordinary measures to bring about the truth so Cornelius and his family could respond to the saving faith, not of religion, but of Jesus Christ. So this morning, understand, religion isn't enough. It wasn't enough for this Italian centurion. Understand that often, if you keep seeking, you will be answered. The blessedness of this conversation I had with this individual this past week is that they didn't give up. They knew something was missing and they didn't get, give up. They kept pursuing and kept praying and kept praying. And what God did is they moved him into Colorado for a weekend. Extraordinary measures in order for them to truly hear what they'd heard over and over and over. But this time it took root in the heart. It took root in the heart, just like it will with Cornelius coming up. Lastly, understand that God has an expansion plan. He has an expansion plan, and it will go forward. We're part of that expansion plan. Day in, day out. My wife was able to share with multiple people this past week because someone from this church wanted to reach out and bless families in Lifetime. We have, uh, I don't know the people's names. I don't need to know the people's names. What we found out this week is Janine made some calls to see if there was anybody out there that needed some help that there were people that were praying for help. That there was one mom who didn't eat because her son needed school clothes. We had no idea. And I get to hear the conversation by my wife who keeps saying, the Lord knew. The Lord knew. The Lord knew. And yet God went to extraordinary measures for this person to see the grace of God because he'd already raised up within someone here, I have no idea who it is, to say, you know, Janine, could you tell me about a couple families that might need some help in lifetime? Those people are all around you, brothers and sisters. People who are trying religion and coming up empty. People who are seeking and God's hearing them. And interestingly enough, God is saying, you, just like Peter, are going to be my answer. You are going to go share. And it might even be with your enemy. It might be very inconvenient for you. It might put the screws to your thumbs in order to share. I really encourage you, come out tonight, 4 o'clock. Be part of what we're doing here as we reach out in the community. And we do so in an effort through the power of the Holy Spirit. See what he does. See if there isn't an answer to someone's prayers out there because God empowers us to go out and reach and help those who are seeking and we help God's expansion plan. Isn't it interesting that one day we might look at Cornelius as a centurion, right? Our enemy, a leader of our enemies. And yet God saw him as a church planter. How do you move from this to this? Only through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me close in prayer and then we're going to move into worship. Y'all did really well with that big adjustment. You, you, you started to tighten up a little bit. Like, why are we doing the sermon first? 
what is going on? It's all part of God's expansion plan. So, um, yeah. Here's the, here's the thinking behind it. Think about what we talked about, what the Lord talked about, what the, what the Scripture brought us this morning. And now as you'll hear testimonies, now as you sing songs, see if those words mean a little bit more in light of what we saw out of the Word today. That's our thinking with this. Let's go to prayer, and then I'm going to call the worship band up to lead us in some songs in worship today. Father God, thank you for the blessedness of your word and the power of your word. Lead us, Father, into an understanding of your expansion plan. Help us not be a people that would say, that is impossible, that is improbable, this, isn't, this can't happen. As opposed to, you've already demonstrated your hand, Lord, that you will reach any person. And you will use us to do that. Lord, I pray for the seekers that are out there even now. And maybe they're in our, our service today. Maybe there are seekers that are saying, I'm tired of religion. I need something that's real. I need something that's authentic. I praise you for the work that you've done with this friend of mine and, and their excitement in coming back and sharing all this with me. That there is real faith that exists instead of a practice of religion. It has taken root in the light of Christ is in their life. We praise you for that. And Father, I thank you that what you have to offer us is eternal. Use these words today to inspire us towards godly living. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.